Commission of the San Francisco Health Commission. It is wonderful to see the Laguna Honda team here in force. It's delightful to see you in person. And uh, Secretary Morowitz, will you call the roll? Yes. I'll start with you, Commissioner Green. Present. Commissioner Christian. Present. Commissioner Guillermo. Present. And Commissioner Chow. Present. Oh, thank you. Um, yes. And uh, Commissioner Christian will read the land acknowledgement. Thank you. The San Francisco Health Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land, and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatushaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Thank you. Secretary Morowitz now has an announcement to make. Hi, everyone. In accordance with the mayor's request, the Health Commission will be discontinuing remote public comment by members of the general public at all of its meetings and committees effective at the next commission, the next full commission meeting scheduled for January 16, 2024. Accommodation for remote public comment will continue to be made available to individuals with disabilities so they can participate in our meetings. Individuals requesting an accommodation for disability will need to submit their request via email or phone by noon on the Monday before Health Commission meetings. Today's meeting will be the last for the remote public comment by the general public. So anyone without a disability accommodation wishing to address the Commission on calendar items or other matters not calendared but within the Commission's jurisdiction in the future will need to be present in person. Those unable to attend Commission meetings in person may still submit written public comment that Commissioners will read and review. Future Health Commission agendas and website postings will include information about these changes to remote public comment procedures and will include clear instructions on how to submit a request for accommodation for disability. Additionally, access to view Health Commission meetings via the WebEx platform will continue to be made available. The Health Commission appreciates hearing concerns and input from all community members. Yes, thank you. And um, we have already received some written public comment today and we do receive them, we do read them. So. We'll try this out and hopefully it'll work for everyone. And again, anyone with a disability is welcome to continue with remote public comment. So, so thank you. So I believe the next item agenda is the Laguna Honda Hospital Employee Recognition Awards and Commissioner Guillermo, Guillermo who chairs the JCC at LHH will proceed. Thank you, President Green. And thank you all. I, I uh, mentioned a minute. A little while ago, I'm just so glad to see all your faces and I wish we could see them more often, even as busy as you are. Uh, but um, I'm pleased to be able to sort of open this recognition. Uh, this year, we recognized um, we recognized all Laguna Honda staff, hospital staff for their indispensable role in securing the future of the organization. This team was a national model for their COVID-19 response and saved countless lives during the pandemic. Barely a moment to catch your breath Laguna Honda staff were then faced with one of the organization's greatest challenges in its 150-year history, a multi-year CMS recertification process. While the last several years have been extremely challenging, we know we can count our, on our Laguna Honda staff. 
All the Laguna Honda staff continue making rapid improvements in elevating Laguna Honda to be a top performing skilled nursing facility. Most importantly, each staff member is there day in and day out for our residents and always prioritizing their care and well-being. You're also there for each other. There's no place like Laguna Honda, no city and no county has made and sustained this commitment to publicly funded long-term care. As we near the end of our path to recertification, we will always remember that all employees have been a vital part of the team that saved Laguna Honda. We want to also acknowledge the contributions of the DPH leaders who were deployed and transferred to assist Laguna Honda through the recertification process. Lifesavers, literally. We are also grateful to Laguna Honda residents and their families for their ongoing patience and support through the process. We are so thankful for every individual who has contributed towards the recertification effort and the mission of Laguna Honda. We hope each staff member can end this year proud of their hard work and their role in San Francisco. So um, without being overly dramatic, I'd like to just sort of stand and give you all a hand at standing ovation. Thank you so much. And we all are so proud of what you've done. Is there public comment on this item? Uh, is there public comment in the room on this item? And folks online, if you'd like to make public comment on this item, we're on item two. You can press star three. I see no hands, commissioners. All right. Any commissioner comments? Um, well, I mean, I've, I've, I've said a lot already. Um, I'm just hoping, you know, uh, again, that nine, uh, 2024 really sort of opens the door to this new vision that we've had for Laguna Honda. Uh, and uh, more than just being a model for uh, overcoming this process and all the challenges, but really a model for what the future is supposed to look like uh, and really be the kind of uh, facility that people aspire to be part of, uh, whether as a resident, as a staff, as a family member, as a supporter. Uh, and that is my Christmas wish. Uh, and uh, whatever part of the New Year's resolution we can be part of, I'm happy to be there with you. Thank you. I just want to join in, in uh, congratulating you on the hard work and thanking you for uh, the hard work and the tireless aspect of it, um, recognizing that fact and knowing how difficult it was on all levels because how much you care, as well as that you know, you're human and you only have so much capacity for you know, pain and no sleep. So um, thank you. Please know that uh, we definitely have seen your work and understand it as, as much as we can from a distance, some of us closer distance than, than myself. But um, thank you on behalf of the families and the city and all the people who will come through the doors of Laguna Honda uh, in the future as a result of your good work and your dedication. So thank you. Commissioner Chow. I think you're on mute. Yeah. Our fellow commissioners to all at Laguna Honda, and I think this was very appropriate to actually not single out individuals because every individual was so important. Um, I've uh, certainly followed Laguna Honda for all the uh, years that I have been on the commission. In fact, uh, 
was involved with Lagoon Honda prior to the commission. My first uh, introduction to uh, city uh, government. And uh, that was the Blue Ribbon Committee. And that was the committee that also many years ago said and reaffirmed that Laguna was an important part of San Francisco. And, and uh, we made a number of recommendations at that time uh, to watch Laguna go through this last crisis and change so significantly so that, uh, so did of course, skilled nursing care in these uh, 30, 40 years. So that today we are on the brink of being uh, at the uh, uh, apex of a world-class uh, organization and delivery of care. Uh, that uh, turnabout from uh, thinking that we were an appendage to uh, a acute care system to actually uh, work uh, now on behalf of the residents as a uh, uh, world-class uh, skilled nursing and term care facility is uh, another uh, tribute to the city's dedication to seeing that those in greatest need will have an opportunity to uh, have the finest care that we can deliver. So again, I, I would just uh, echo what everybody has said. Um, the, the staff is the answer. Uh, all of those who have worked hard and they were tireless in leading the charge and asking the staff to actually to these new standards, uh, we can proudly say that the staff has done that. So uh, thank you very much. And I look forward to the continued Laguna Honda service to the city. And I, of course, want to associate myself with all the comments. And, you know, as I thought about it as a member of the JCC, I think what's been most remarkable to me is the way you've been able to maintain your morale despite all of the detail you've had to face and some of the requests that, that almost seem inhuman or impossible to achieve. And yet you have never acted resentful. You have never questioned. You have always responded with such positivity and it's infectious. And I think one of the reasons that this, the, the families have done so well in this context and that the residents have is the way you have come through this um, with your spirit and with your commitment and with your dignity. And, and that is so unusual in medicine today where so many people feel it's a job and not a profession. And you, to my mind, have elevated this profession beyond, beyond imagining. And, and you know, I, I'm, it's wonderful to see this team. I see Dr. Lamb here in the audience and you know, welcome. And it's just so wonderful to see you all together and, and to be able to recognize the superhuman work work you've done um, over these past way too many months. So we're very encouraged about the future and and we're we're so confident that um, you'll continue to shine in every way. so so thank you so very much. I know uh, Director Colfax wants to say a few words as well. Thank you. Thank you, President Green, and uh, I really appreciate the comments from the other commissioners and just to extend on behalf of myself and the rest of the department, how uh, grateful and proud we are of Laguna Honda and what what everybody has done. And uh, you know, we are the city of St. Francis and there is the quote that's attributed to St. Francis that I think is particularly apt to what you've all done in the last year and a half, which is uh, 
first do what's necessary, then do what's possible, and soon you are doing the impossible. And I really think that that is apt for the incredible work that you've done and the leadership that you've shown in terms of shifting a culture of the institution in so many ways through a very challenging bureaucratic system. But one thing that never changed, and I think was your North Star, was ensuring that the health and welfare of the residents and their families were, were central. So just grateful for everything you have done and everything you will continue to do. Thank you so much. And thank you for being such wonderful caretakers of God's Hotel. So do we have any? Um, okay. Move on to the next item. All right, next. So we go to the report, right? Yeah, um, the recertification update. Okay, so the next item on the agenda is the recertification uh, update and uh, Director Pickens will present to us. Good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, Roland Pickens, director of the San Francisco Health Network and executive sponsor of the Laguna Honda recertification uh, process. So it's my pleasure to be here in person with you today and to be joined by of Sandra Simon, our new CEO and nursing home administrator, along with other members of the Laguna Honda executive staff, and also members of the um, Laguna Honda CMS recertification incident command, who are also present and also uh, joining us virtually. So I stand here uh, today on behalf of all of them to present you with this very brief, uh, but hopefully comprehensive update on the CMS recertification journey at Laguna Honda. So as you um, can imagine, Laguna Honda staff continue to work tirelessly towards CMS recertification. Uh, we recently welcomed surveyors for the CMS Medicare certification survey. Um, that survey consisted of two components. The first was a health inspection portion, which took place between November 27th and December 1st. And a second portion, the fire, life, safety, and emergency preparedness portion, which took place December 4th through December 7th. You will recall after the successful uh, Medicaid recertification back in August, uh, we achieved our goal of becoming recertified in the Medicaid program. Uh, as you know, more than 95% of Laguna Honda residents rely upon Medicaid as their primary funding source for their care. This most recent survey is for the recertification into the Medicare program. You will hear more about that throughout uh, today's presentations, uh, but wanted to share with you, in addition to the Medicare survey that we just completed, uh, when state and CMS surveyors were here, they also uh, did a very rigorous job with almost 30 surveyors on site to review uh, the last remaining open cases that had been uh, on the books for Laguna for the last several years. There were 39 open unresolved cases, seven of which were anonymous complaints, and 32 were facility self-reported incidents. Uh, we're happy to report that during the course of the survey, the surveyors were able to resolve 34 of those 39 cases uh, with preliminary resolution showing zero deficiencies. So again, hats off to the staff at Laguna. 
for doing all the work um, that resulted in there being no negative findings thus far from those cases. Next slide. So there is and there has been much to celebrate. Uh, it's important to note that when surveyors were at Laguna over the past few weeks, uh, they uh, noted that they saw great improvement and it's clear that Laguna Honda is not the same organization uh, that was decertified back in April of 2022. While we are excited and grateful for uh, these words of encouragement and recognition from the surveyors, uh, we know that our journey is still not complete. We are still awaiting to receive what's called the official 2567 statement of deficiency uh, with findings from that survey. Uh, as always, uh, we do expect findings, especially for a facility the size of Laguna Honda. Uh, and our goal is to ensure that the findings are as minor uh, and isolated as possible. Uh, staff, since the ending of the survey and the exit conference, have been hard at work preparing for the 2567 statement of deficiencies and working along with our quality improvement expert, the Health Services Advisory Group. We again want to thank each and every Laguna Honda staff person. Uh, as we know, surveys are very stressful and it's hard to imagine a series of surveys more high stake and under more scrutiny than the most recent one, the one for the Medicare recertification. So the next step in this Medicare recertification process is to receive that 2567 statement of deficiencies, which we expect to receive any day now. And then we will have uh, a usual 10 day turnaround period in order to provide our um, plan of correction and submit that back to California Department of Public Health and CMS for their review and hopefully final approval. Uh, it's important uh, to note that uh, the plan of correction uh, does not come have with it a reasonable assurance period. We've talked about this in the past that for the Medicare recertification process, uh, there was an initial certification which occurred back in August when we received our Medicaid certification. And then this most recent second survey uh, had that period in there of about 180 days. So we have met the requirement for the, for the reasonable, uh, reasonable um, assurance period. And so when we submit the 2567, there will be uh, no further delay in terms of a period of reasonable assurance. So we are, while we're not quite there, we are nearing the finish line for recertification, but we have much more to do and we will continue to share uh, our status and updates with you uh, as time goes by. As we look to surveys for 2024, we anticipate the acute care licensing survey for those 11 acute care beds at Laguna Honda. Uh, that, that, uh, that part of the organization has not been surveyed uh, post COVID-19. So we're expecting that survey uh, to come at any time and we are prepared and ready uh, to hopefully do well in that survey. And finally, we know that a readmit, the status of readmissions to Laguna is at top of mind for everyone. Um, as we've said, currently we're laser focused on recertification, 
but we do look forward to coming back to the Joint Conference Committee at Laguna and the Health Commission uh, to share with you both our plans for ongoing sustainability of the improvements that have been made uh, and to share with you uh, our path towards returning to more normal operations at Laguna Honda. And of course, resumption of admissions is a part of the update we'll be bringing to you. Next slide. So it's um, my pleasure, and you will hear more from um, Sandra Simon later on, but to introduce to you uh, the newest member of the Laguna Honda executive staff, and that is our medical director and chief medical officer, Dr. Albert Lamb. And would invite him to come up just to, if, if, if that is your purview, to just say a few words. Good evening, everybody. I'm very excited to join this team, and I've been impressed with, um, I've met people uh, in the janitorial and environmental services staff all the way on up, and I'm very impressed with the people that I've uh, had a chance to meet with. Um, everyone seems dedicated to the mission of providing care, and I'm very excited to be able to help us to get that little nudge forward so that we can be at the top. Um, I, I look forward to getting to know all the commissioners here um, in, the, in the future, um, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to celebrate a lot of our success. Thank you. Thank you. We're very, very happy to have you and welcome. So Dr. Lamb is very modest. He didn't go into his very lengthy CV, but um, you know we were able to recruit him after a, a more than one year long search process. Uh, there were uh, over 400 uh, inquiries in terms of potential applicants for this job. And Dr. Lamb uh, is the person that uh, rose to the top and it was very clear uh, he was uh, head and shoulders above the rest. Just a little bit about him. Uh, Dr. Lamb um, led one of Northern California's top performing post-acute care departments at the Sutter Health Palo Alto Medical Foundation. And he also served as the founding chair of the Palo Alto Medical Foundation Geriatrics Department and was a senior post-acute care consultant. Uh, Dr. Lamb will be taking over the helm from Dr. Nita Ratanawangsa, who has served in that position on an interim basis for almost a year now. Um, and we want to extend our thanks to her for all of her work and effort. And she will continue to be, uh, uh, like many of us, on site uh, to continue with the transition to this new leadership team. Next slide. So that concludes my uh, recertification um, uh, update. And as you know, there's a much more um, in-depth annual report that will come subsequent uh, in, the, in the day, but I'm happy to uh, take any questions at the appropriate time. Thank you. Is there any public comment on this particular item, which is the recertification update? Yes, um, I see one hand and there may be some in the audience. I'll read a statement before we begin. For each agenda item, members of the public will have an opportunity to make comment for up to three minutes. The public comment process is designed to invite input and feedback from individuals in the community. However, the process does not allow questions to be answered in the meeting or for members of the public to engage in back and forth conversation with the commissioners. The commissioners do consider comments from members of the public when discussing an item and making requests to the DPH. Please note that each individual is allowed one opportunity to speak per agenda item. Individuals may not return more than once to read statements from other individuals unable to attend the meeting. Written public comment may be sent to the Health Commission, the following email address, the word health dot 
the word commission.dph at sfdph.org. Please note that city policies along with federal, state, and local law prohibit discriminatory or harassing conduct against city employees and others during public meetings and will not be tolerated. We will first take public comment from individuals attending the meeting in person. We will then take remote public comment from individuals who have received an accommodation for disability. I've only given one person accommodation for this meeting. I've uh, given each of these individuals a code to speak when they begin their comments to prevent others from speaking during this time. Finally, we will hear from uh, others uh, who are participating remotely. Um, there will be a time limit of 20 minutes on the total amount of remote public comment that can be heard on each item from individuals who, who have not received an accommodation for disability. All right, so let's start with, uh, is there anyone in the room who would like to make public comment on item three, the um, Laguna Honda recertification update? All right, I don't see any hands. So we'll go to um, the two folks that uh, have hands up for remote public comment. Please unmute the first caller. Hi, it's Patrick Manetsog, code AA. Can you hear me okay? Yes, yes, you're loud and clear. You've got three minutes, Mr. Manetsog. Thank you, Mr. Morwitz. Please, commissioners, stop calling Laguna Honda, quote unquote, God's Hotel. It's not a hotel. It's a skilled nursing facility, for crap's sake. Previously, Mr. Pickens informed the Health Commission and testified to San Francisco's Board of Supervisors, quote-unquote, committee in the whole hearing last June, that in order to obtain Medicare's recertification, Laguna Honda needed to have two full recertification inspection surveys separated by that 90-day reasonable assurance waiting period between the two inspections. Uh, the uh, medical inspection Mr. Pickens just referred to was technically a mandatory, quote, 90-day monitoring survey, end quote, required by the Laguna Honda Settlement Agreement. It was not a Medicare recertification survey. Um, that is required under Medicare rules. Since when do the contractually required 90-day monitoring surveys count as a recertification inspection? Has CMS approved this change to its standard rules applicable for recertification of all nursing facilities? The seven anonymous complaints are concerned because Laguna Honda is still getting an inordinate number of anonymous complaints. When are admissions going to be resumed? And what's the status of the 120-bed um, waiver request that you have dragged your feet submitting? You guys need to get on your feet in the new year and get that waiver application submitted. Thank you. All right, thank you. Jeanette, please unmute the next caller. I call um, you. Hi, this is, yeah, can you hear me? Yes, and you've got three minutes. Um, 
Hi, it's Dr. Palmer. Yeah, I thought we were going to hear what the timeline to uh, resuming readmissions was uh, and given some time frame. And I'm a little late, but I did not hear that, and I would like to hear it. And also, um, what the timeline for submitting a waiver to keep the 120 beds in, I would like reassurance that there is still a full intention to fight to keep those 120 beds. I would also like reassurance that um, uh, the new Laguna Honda uh, leaders will be completely supported in turning down inappropriate um, admissions that Laguna Honda cannot safely care for um, from uh, San Francisco General Hospital. Um, thank you very much. All right, uh, that's the last public comment. All right, any commissioner questions or comments? Commissioner Guillermo. Thank you. Um, I know you can't give assurance of this, um, Ms. Prickins, but do you have any reasonable hope that we might get the 2567 before the end of the year? Uh, yes, I do. Um, so last Friday would have been the 10-day period that uh, CMS, by their own rules, should have returned this 2567 to us. So there are a few days overdue. So that's why we're expecting it any day now. So one would hope that they will resolve those issues and get it to us um, as quickly as possible. And we will continue to do our due diligence to contact them and ask them for an update, which we have done uh, already and are waiting for an answer. Thank you. Commissioner Chow. Yes, uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Pickens, for uh, for the report. I do wonder uh, if you have some timeline. Well, I, I'm i curious about uh, understanding more this 90-day gap and uh, the uh, recertification process uh, that then you're saying has been fulfilled because we had the Medi-Cal well, essentially the Medi-Cal survey, which could then serve as the 90 days. Uh, so it's, is that, uh, did I understand that correctly or we still are waiting another 90 days? Uh, thank you, Dr. Child, for that question. You did understand correctly. Uh, that reasonable assurance period is a period from any encompassing 90 up to 180 days. And so that August survey, which gave us back certification in Medicaid uh, has been deemed by CMS to be our first of two CMS, uh, Medicare uh, recertification surveys. So we have met the requirement for the reasonable assurance period. That is over and done, and we are beyond that. Uh, very good. Uh, and uh, according to your uh, previous statements, uh, the issue of the 120 beds uh, was going to be pending the... Uh, uh, recertification completion for Medicare. So um, I think uh, it would be good to hear that uh, we are still intending to do that. Very much so. Uh, we maintain all along that we know the importance of those 120 beds, uh, not only to Laguna, but to the entire San Francisco Bay Area. And so we have every intention uh, upon uh, applying for the requisite waiver when we feel we'll be successful uh, and uh, to have that waiver received and hopefully approved. Uh, but that is still our plan. And uh, as, at the most appropriate time, we will be uh, submitting that forward. Uh, but again, that's after we achieve uh, Medicare recertification. 
Great. And so uh, once again, I want to congratulate you that, that we have received uh, the Medicare survey at this point and that uh, uh, we'll be uh, looking uh, forward to the corrective action plan and seeing how CMS will receive our uh, program, right? So thank you, uh, thank you again to your entire staff for the hard work uh, you've done during this uh, survey process. I, uh, we've been following it uh, 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 day by day as you've been giving us updates and, and uh, uh, it's, uh, it's clear the amount of work uh, when you have 30 surveyors on site uh, you almost need thirty people to keep up with them. So, so uh, having been a surveyor before, I, I know the stress uh, on both sides. So, uh, again, uh, our thanks for uh, the very hard work, and we're hoping for success. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I guess I have one last question. If you do get the um, 2567s before the end of the year, what kind of flexibility do you guys have so you don't have to work the whole week between Christmas and New Year's when half of San Francisco County is enjoying their families in the holidays? Well, as you know, we like to be prepared. So we started working uh, uh, immediately after that exit conference on the plan of correction. So we actually have our preliminary plan of correction already done. Uh, and as long as we don't anticipate any surprises, but if there aren't any, we'll be able to populate that right away and turn it around. Thank you. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much. And we're about to go to our next Laguna Honda um, uh, item, which is the annual report. And again, Mr. Pickens will be presenting. And I am and going to uh, Simon. turn it over to our oh, wonderful. director Simon. Hello. Good afternoon. Um, welcome to the Laguna Honda Hospital annual 2022-2023 annual report presentation. My name is Sandra Simon. I serve as Laguna Honda's nursing home administrator and incoming chief executive officer. Um, as you know, I joined the team in June of 2023, just as the fiscal year was coming to an end. So I am accompanied tonight um, by some of my colleagues to help with this presentation. I will say it's been such an honor to serve alongside the staff of Laguna Honda um, during this really challenging time and very challenging year. And I am so grateful and so proud of this team and the staff for their dedication, their perseverance, their, their excellence, and just really the pride they have in their work. It really um, was quite an honor. And I was um, during the survey to see the staff and how they interacted and how they were proud of the work that they have done and what, how they have really carried the changes through. Um, it's also been such an honor to serve the residents, not only of Laguna Honda, not only have I received such a warm, warm welcome from them, their patients support throughout this whole cert recertification process has really been outstanding. Um, and we all know that it's their care, their well-being, their um, their life that really drives and lifts us all for this work. Um, so just after the close of the fiscal year, Laguna Honda earned, as we heard, earned back the recertification into the Medicaid program. Um, and that is the funding source that serves and supports 95, about 95% 95 of our population. While our path to full recertification continues, I do wanna acknowledge and just again celebrate as we just heard that it's a really major accomplishment um, slide, next slide, please. 
All right, here we are. Um, as we have all said tonight and how we, and as we all know, there is really no place quite like Laguna Honda Hospital. Um, we are one of the largest skilled nursing facilities not only in the country and represent the most extensive commitment by any city or county to the therapeutic care for seniors and also for adults with disabilities. The uniqueness of Laguna Honda and the role we play in serving San Franciscans most in need is why CMS recertification has been the top priority for the department and the city. Next slide, please. So our mission in about Laguna Honda, our mission provides a welcoming therapeutic healing environment that, that promotes and really supports individuals' health and well-being, resident-centered care. Our vision is to build a health, healthier lives as the leader in post-acute care and skilled nursing. And we carry out that mission and vision with our values of resident-centered care, values of compassion, professionalism, competency, teamwork, collaboration, integrity, and communication. Next slide. And then who do we serve? We have a really diverse population and here's a few photos. We have, we serve residents with complex medical needs who are often low and very low income. And we serve a broad community in terms of both care needs and demographics and really proud of the fact that Laguna Honda does serve residents that um, may not be able to be served well in other nursing homes. So we um, are very proud of that fact also. Next slide, please. So you can see just some of the demographics here. And so one of the things that makes Laguna Honda so special is the diversity of our resident population. Um, and as we said, as I said earlier, we're publicly funded SNF and nearly all of the resident care comes from both the Medi-Cal and the Medicare program. We are home to residents who have very complex medical needs and um, really are just would not have other places and where they could find care. We're racially and ethnic, ethnically diverse with many languages spoken and the facility included in, at our facility. And we also have two specialty units, a dedicated Spanish language unit and a Chinese language unit. Next slide, please. So it's really hard to recap a whole year in numbers, but just a couple of highlights, um, and especially in this really unique year that we've had at Laguna Honda. But um, we did serve, even with the reduction in census, um, we were able to serve 849 people over 206, 947 days. Um, and these two numbers really represent a, remar a remarkable and facility-wide effort in not only supporting our residents through all these changes, but providing high-quality resident-centered care through these changes. Um, and just to talk a little bit about the financials, I just wanted like to invite Lily Conover up now, the CFO for Laguna Honda. Thanks, Sandra. Hello, Commissioners. Lily Conover, Laguna CFO. Happy to be here with you today. Um, so I'll be reviewing our financial report. If you could go to the next slide, please. Okay, great. So I'm going to start with revenue. So um, year over year, we saw revenue growth despite having a lower, lower overall census. Uh, this was primarily due to an increase in the distinct part nursing facility reimbursement rates 
and a prior year settlement of $8 million. Uh, the increase to the reimbursement rates was the primary driver to help offset the lower census. And that resulted in an overall surplus in total operating revenue for the year of 5.4 million. On the expenditure side, uh, total expenditures increased year over year due to recertification and registry costs primarily. Um, recertification costs included consulting services with our partners, Health Service Advisory Group, Health Management Associates, and Moss Adams. In addition to those consulting companies, we also had increased security and communication service costs for the year. On the registry side, um, the increase to our registry costs was due to recertification specific registry, COVID re continued need for COVID registry uh, services, and to cover just a general increase, um, the increased need of registry for vacancies and uh, leaves that we saw over the year at Laguna. Um, funding for the increase to our non-personnel costs was covered by labor, labor savings and material supplies savings within the Laguna Honda operating budget and also a $24 million fund transfer from uh, general DPH network-wide savings. Uh, this reallocation of funds contributed to a higher year-over-year -year general fund subsidy that you can see on the, on the slide there. Uh, next slide, please. Okay, so this, uh, this slide kind of goes over our payer sources for the year. And um, we continue to re rely primarily on Medi-Cal as a payer source, as Sandra mentioned earlier. And historically, we, haven't, we don't see much of a shift year over year in our payer mix. Uh, we did see a slight shift over the last year from uh, in the outpatient visit percentage from Medi-Cal to Medicare due to increased uh, outpatient clinic volume. And that was primarily provided to patients covered by Medicare Part B. Um, although census has decreased, payer sources have remained largely consistent year over year, and we, we would expect to see a similar payer mix for, for fiscal 24. And, and I guess we'll wait to do questions until the end. I think you're up next. Thank you, Lily. So our path towards recertification um, could not have happened without the support of the uh, Laguna Honda Recertification Incident Command structure. And I want to acknowledge uh, our two co-incident commanders who are here in the audience, Troy Williams and Baljeet Sangha. They have really uh, helped to drive all of the, much of the improvement work we've done. Also want to acknowledge Dr. Anita Ratana-Wangsa, who as she transitions out of being interim uh, CMO at Laguna, is going to be the interim chief medical officer for San Francisco Health Network and continue to su support Laguna Honda recertification in that uh, position. And also um, Maggie Rakowski, uh, who I think has joined remotely, who has been part of Incident Command supporting overall hospital administration, and Terry D'Antoni, who's been the executive sponsor for, sponsor for nursing leadership and uh, had been the chief nursing, op op chief nursing operator. Chief Nursing Officer uh, for the last several months. So, you know, Incident Command, um, it's one of the beauties of being part of the Department of Public Health uh, that focuses on um, all ha an all-hazards approach, particularly to emergencies and critical incidents. So we have truly utilized the um, uh, hospital incident command structure uh, to take on this overwhelming task of recertification, and it served us well. 
And again, thank you to all parts of DPH uh, that uh, supplied staff to uh, help uh, support incident command structure because uh, that structure was really uh, beneficial to support the staff at Laguna uh, uh, as we've all worked together towards recertification. Uh, as we've shared, we've um, uh, met all of the, the many different um, uh, milestones and uh, metrics that uh, were put forward uh, towards us for um, recertification. And um, again, want to just say thank you to the incident command structure for supporting that and making it happen. Uh, next slide. I'll turn it over to uh, Nas. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Nazanin Talai, Chief Quality Officer for Laguna Honda Hospital. Um, as part of our annual report today, I want to share with you uh, the action plan work that we all did over the last fiscal year, in particular in response to our first monitoring plan that was done in December of 2022. Uh, Laguna Honda partnered with our QIE to develop our first action plan in response to that survey, which consisted of 500 milestones. Uh, the facility was able to successfully complete that action plan and submit it uh, with supporting evidence as of May 2023. Those milestones covered areas such as medication management, care plans, resident rights, and more. Uh, and as you all know, the facility continued to do even more action plans throughout the year to ensure we continue this great work towards certification. With that, um, I will pass it to Jennifer Cartonwaite and the next slide, please. Good afternoon. My name is Jennifer Carton-Wade, an assistant nursing home administrator. And um, you can imagine with all of those milestones comes a great need for education. And so over the past year, we were very successful in having two major facility-wide education fairs is what we called them. In those two different settings, we were able to educate over 1,200 people within the span, including makeups of about a month with reaching up to 97 and 98% compliance each time. And so this was a really uh, exciting event for us to be able to put on in the sense that it was really important to so support our recertification efforts. And we will continue to um, participate in education fairs, I think, as we move forward. We'll have to see what the, the future brings. So, next slide. Another thing that we've done this past year was we have really increased our uh, executive rounding. We go to the different units, all the executives have assigned units, and we review not only the environment of care, but we talk with residents, we talk with families, we talk with staff. We make sure that people's questions are being answered, and the higher visibility really has garnered a different kind of relationship, quite frankly, with our staff, which I think is much appreciated as we've been going through these very uh, challenging times. Next slide. I'll pass it off to Dr. Nita. Hi, I'm Nita Ritanwongs. I'm the interim chief medical officer. Um, and so I'm uh, going to comment about the restraint-free journey. Um, this is one of the huge successes of the recertification effort and moving um, the organization towards the reduction and elimination of the use of restraints, um, which are um, not only about uh, safety, but also about resident dignity and independence. Um, and uh, took a real partnership across multiple disciplines, nursing, um, rehabilitation, 
um, activity therapy, psychiatry department, everyone really helping to make sure that we approach this in a resident-centered, trauma-informed way. And at this point, we're well within the, um, the goals that we set for ourselves and in this line of standards across the country. Uh, next slide, I'll turn it back over to Hanolan. Thank you, Dr. Ratanawangsa. Uh, as I've shared with you before, one of the key initiatives that we undertook this year was the Consistent Care at the Bedside Initiative, affectionately known as the CC CCBM Initiative. Uh, you recall back in uh, uh, June and July of this year, we were a little over a year into our recertification journey, and we, and we saw that despite tremendous progress, there were still some areas that needed uh, more uh, detailed and a higher level of expertise. Uh, so in essence, the CCBM uh, initiative was born out of that need where we worked with um, our um, quality improvement expert to bring on board um, senior uh, nurse leaders who had served previously as directors of nursing at skilled nursing facilities and assign one of them to each of our 13 units in order to, again, bring um, more uh, direct um, uh, 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 supervision and coaching and expertise to the nursing unit level. Uh, so far, that, that program has been very successful. And I think uh, uh, by virtue of um, the most recent surveys, we feel that uh, this program was very significant, particularly in allowing us to proactively identify uh, areas of challenge and barriers and, co and correct those before they were being found by surveyors. And so this CCBM initiative um, was key to that, and we are planning to continue to uh, operationalize that at least through uh, our first year of recertification as part of our sustainability uh, program. Next slide. Uh, and Kendra, let's go one more slide and then we'll come back to this one. Uh, you'll recall back in February, um, uh, Mayor Breed um, posted uh, U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services, Javier Becerra at Laguna Honda. It was a great uh, tour and opportunity for the Secretary himself to see uh, all the work at Laguna Honda. And um, uh, it was a great visit for him to really put uh, names and faces with what he had only seen in writing and heard through verbal reports. Uh, you'll recall I previously reported at the conclusion of that visit, uh, the secretary said that he was so glad that he was able to come out and it really gave him a different perspective of Laguna Honda. And as I look back, I really see that as part of the turning point in this whole recertification effort. So again, that's why we wanted to highlight that visit as part of this report. Uh, let's go back to the next, the previous slide, Kendra. And at this point, again, I want to reintroduce our new nursing home administrator and chief executive officer and give her the opportunity to um, further introduce uh, the new members of the Laguna Honda leadership team. Hi, I'm extremely honored to introduce this team. I'm every day. I. I I'm so inspired by this team and um, the coming together to really help lead the path and to the new Laguna Honda and just really these professionals and passionate long-term care um, 
professionals and guides and leaders. It's just really a thrill. So I want to introduce you to them and maybe you can just stand up. Yeah, is that okay? So Jennifer Carton-Wade, I think you know, you probably know her already, Assistant Nursing Home Administrator for South Tower, right? Yes. Okay, <laughs> and then Diltar Sidhu, who is our other Assistant Nursing Home Administrator, and he is over the North Tower, and they all still have their respective areas of expertise, care experience, and sort of support services fall under Diltar. Um, Greg is not able to be here today. I don't know if he's on online, but Greg Chase, he's the Executive Director of Facilities, um, Engineering, Fire Life Safety, and Capital Projects. Um, Michael Collins is here. Michael Collins is one of our Directors of Nursing, and he's also over the clinics and um, nursing operations. He oversees the South Tower. And then uh, Tracy Brown, who's ill today, she's not um, able to be with us. Um, she joined, Tracy and Michael joined on the same day, um, started together, and she oversees the North Tower and some other um, initiatives, care initiatives. And then Dr. Albert Lamb comes to us here, medical director, chief medical officer, week two? Third week, third week already. So um, anyway, uh, just such an amazing team. Um, and to all start, we never get a chance to all, uh, you know, this is a very unique opportunity to, for executives to all come together at the same time with uh, a, a goal in mind and to just um, mesh and, 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 and do this work together. So it's really exciting opportunity. Um, and with that, I think Jen has a few, you have a couple of slides after this? I think. No? Yeah. Uh, what's the, uh, can you go to the next slide? Maybe not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, hi. So as you would imagine, with all the work that we're doing, we really like to give back to our staff as much as we possibly can. So we were able to have a food truck event, which was really um, fun and exciting. Our staff love food trucks, so we try and get them as frequently as possible. Who doesn't love a food truck? And um, we did partner with our the union at this event, which was really, I think, special. And I think that um, the partnership that we have developed with them throughout this past year, I would like to see that grow and continue to help benefit our continued staff experience. Oh, next slide, please. And this next event, I want to say that I had the good fortune of attending the opening just across the street for the Art with Elders uh, summer exhibition that they had that featured some of our Laguna Honda uh, residents. It was very special. It was one of our first outings, official outings post pandemic. And it was a real just lovely celebration of life. When you live in a facility, sometimes humanity isn't seen anymore because you're living in a facility. And through our partnership with Art with Elders for the past 30 years, they have done the best by showcasing and showing that humanity and that beauty that comes and might even change and morph through all the different stages that someone might have at Laguna Honda. So it's really beautiful. I hope you got a chance to see it. If not, you know, we have a whole bunch of art featured at Laguna Honda. So come and take a look at it. But made extra more special too because the mayor was able to join us and really spend some time with our residents. So that was really beautiful. Thank you. Next slide. 
So as we talk about numbers, compliance work, operations, we never want to lose sight of why we're here. Our mission is to um, just support our residents through this time of their life, just here for our residents. And so before we close, I just want to highlight two of our residents and share a few stories um, with you. And these, both of these residents um, participated in our Art with Elders program, and their work is displayed, I believe, still at City Hall, but uh, the program that, that Jen spoke about. So meet Felipe M. Um, he comes from a small town, Tepatitlan in Jalisco, Mexico. And um, you can see that his, in 1977, his father uh, bought an ice cream factory and his family made ice cream, sandwiches, and all of the products that they sold here. And that inspired him to uh, embark upon a path of business school. And he started walk, working in Coca-Cola at the accounting department. Um, and then in, 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 on this path in 1998, he became an American resident. And that's how he came here. He used to live in LA. And then he worked at various facilities. And in 2003, he moved to San Francisco. And then in 2006, he had a stroke and he became handicapped. And then that's when he moved to Laguna Honda. And he's been there for 15 years and has um, wanted to just share that he has enjoyed and participated in the art with elders for the last five years. Uh, next slide, I want to introduce you to Ida. Ida was born in San Francisco in 1940, and she had a stroke that paralyzed her right side when she was only two years old. But Ida will declare that she doesn't feel like she missed, in spite of that stroke, she's never missed out on anything. Her parents were immigrants from Northern India, and she, Northern Italy, and she grew up in North Beach. And she just cherishes memories of her with her family and children in Telegraph Hill and strolls at Fisherman's Wharf and in Union Square. And she's always loved art and enjoyed coloring throughout her lifetime. And you will see her, and I see her whenever the studio is open, in the studio doing her artwork, and she can do it all day long. Um, and she always wanted to do it for extended periods of time, never had the chance, and now she has that chance through the Art with Elder program. So I hope you enjoy hearing about Ida and Felipe. Next slide, please. So um, we look to the new year, and you can hear how optimistic this team is and excited. And we, we look forward to the path to recertification as this comes to a close. And we're looking forward to a new beginning and what um, beginning of a new chapter and what I like to call the new Laguna Honda Hospital, um, this new organization that is, um, as we all talked about, just providing um, being leaders in exemplary care in the skilled nursing field and just being a model for others. So on behalf of the Laguna Honda leadership team, again, I just want to take a moment to thank the dedicated staff. Um, so proud of them, their dedication, and they have met this, this uh, challenge with such grace and such strength and such fortitude. Um, so thank you staff of Laguna Honda. We would not be here today if it wasn't for your work. And then finally, th a big thank you to the San Francisco Health Commission for your guidance support um, through this process. Um, and happy holidays to everyone. Thank you. Thank, thank you. How about public comment on this item? Is there anyone in the room who would like to make public comment on this issue, this item? I don't see any hands. Is there anyone online who would like to make public comment on this item? 
again, we're on item four, the Laguna Honda annual report. I see no hands, commissioners. Are there any commissioner comments or questions? Commissioner Guillermo. Thank you, and thank you for the report. Um, really enjoy always uh, every year hearing about really what's going on uh, at Laguna Honda. And aside from all of the, the goings on on recertification and COVID prior to that and the other things that have occurred prior to that, it really is about the residents and the staff. And, and this report really does uh, bring that home. And I, you know, I just appreciate, even though there's only a couple stories about the residents, I mean, they really do you know, those two stories, you know, give a flavor of the kind of quality, uh, a, a care and the comprehensiveness, I think, uh, of services uh, and care that uh, uh, comes to uh, the residents at Laguna Honda. When you hear about Philippe, who's been there for 15 years, uh, for him to feel uh, as, um, as a resident, uh, that he can enjoy art and that he can really be, you know, sort of a, a, um, a vibrant human being uh, in an institutionalized setting means that he doesn't feel institutionalized, right? Uh, and so I think that that is really, really important for, for us and the public uh, to understand and, and hear that it's not all about rules and regulations and policies and facility reported <laughs> incidents. And those things are obviously important, uh, but to the end, uh, you know, it is about the people. Uh, and I, you know, I always enjoy uh, uh, getting the report, uh, particularly since we don't get, especially with COVID, we didn't get a chance to really sort of be in the facility and be, you know, uh, witness that energy uh, and uh, the vibe, right, uh, that goes on at Laguna Honda. So I thank you uh, for putting the time and effort uh, into, uh, uh, into uh, putting the report together. Uh, and to for giving us, you know, this glimpse uh, into Laguna Honda. I did have a question, though, um, about um, when the readmissions occur. Um, I don't know how much you have a sense of who will be coming back and who might be coming in, but do you have a sense that that is going to change significantly the demographic or the diversity mix uh, in the population, or are you know, is it we're going to strive to you know keep that? Um, sort of stratified in terms of both age, uh, uh, you know, gender identity, uh, and you know all of the things that uh, that show up here um, uh, as soon as the we're able to uh, sort of reinvite folks to come in. Thank you for the question, and I'll start, and then I'll ask uh, Dr. Nita Ratana Wangsa, who's actually been. Uh, co-leading the group that's looking at preparing for readmissions. But in essence, you know, we remain committed to uh, uh, our charge to serve all of San Francisco, meaning all of San Francisco in terms of its diversity in every respect, uh, with a particular focus on the underserved, those who cannot get care uh, anywhere else. And so that has remained constant in all of our planning. Uh, Nita has personally overseen the work with the medical staff in terms of um, reviewing uh, admission criteria. Uh, we have a very robust process that we started about a month and a half ago and will continue over the next few months to really look at every aspect of what's needed to begin to safely uh, resume admissions and make sure we have all the resources, the staffing and programs in place uh, to, to care for residents. Um, thank you. Um, I think um, I would just say that I, I think we're all very excited um, to 
begin the process of opening the doors again. And I think also very committed to making sure that the quality of care improvement work that we've done here translates into those new admissions. So I want to thank the Health Commission for all the feedback and help in getting our admissions policy into a place that we all feel comfortable with. And I think everyone is committed to those core principles and prioritization um, criteria that you all helped us develop. And I think as part of this process, you know, I, I this week have had great conversations with folks like at the San Francisco Health Plan and at the San Francisco Consortium Clinics, um, wonderful partners across primary care. And so I think everyone really wants to make sure that as we do this, we're really transparent about all of the work that we've done and we can, can carry that through um, to the process of their readmissions. Um, and again, San Francisco is a diverse community with a lot of needs and you saw our top diagnoses there. I think we, um, um, there are a lot of folks um, who I think um, will be perfect fits to come into San Francisco, um, into Laguna Honda Hospital from San Francisco. And so I think that will still represent the diversity of, of San Francisco as part of this process. Um, and I think bringing that trauma-informed and equity lens into the process will be really crucial as we do this um, as well. Any particular questions on that that I can address? Uh, no, that was, the, I mean, it's, it's just good to hear that, you know, that, sort of the um, robustness, I guess, of the process for readmission and really sort of making sure that the, um, you know, the, the population of Laguna Honda continues to be as diverse and reflective of the diversity in San Francisco yeah. uh, as, you know, as we've seen. Today. I think that that's a real tribute to the, the leadership um, of the organization, both the folks who have been there and also the new folks who've come in. I think we can meld that um, that experience from the past with the um, standardization and quality that other um, that our leadership have brought um, in saying, how can we do this all better um, um, and continue the mission of the organization? So I'm very confident we can do that. And again, one of the best parts you all know is that we're part of a broader San Francisco health network. And so everyone here has a place that they can receive care that's right for them. And I think a lot of this is really figuring out where is that place within our broader health network so we can find the right fit that meets somebody's needs where they are. Great. Uh, I did have one other uh, question around, um, I think this is for Lily, uh, around the financials. So given that um, we anticipate these readmissions and the recertification, um, there is uh, hopefully an uh, increase in revenue associated with that from uh, Medicaid uh, and, and Medicare. So uh, will we be needing uh, the general fund subsidy to the extent that we have had uh, in the past, given the budget cuts that are required uh, in this upcoming year and possibly to the future. And so how will, how might that affect the operational uh, uh, and economic health of Laguna Honda uh, if you take the, the budget cuts align along with what the uh, potential increase in revenue is going to be? Yeah, I think in, in the upcoming fiscal year, um, I don't know that our admissions will be ramped up enough to make a significant increase to revenue to kind of offset those budget cuts. But those are kind of things that we're modeling right now to see, you know, based on what we know and what we think may happen in the next year, we can anticipate uh, additional revenue, but we wouldn't be back to our pre uh, research process uh, revenue levels that we were when we had a higher census. So probably, you know, second year out, we, we might have a, that higher revenue picture again. So we, we should anticipate that there's going to be sort of a sort of tough like a high ramp, budget year well, in the yeah. meantime. I mean, yeah. I think it's just kind of a ramped up increase that wouldn't be, you know, going from here to here and, and that just, short period of time. 
just concerned that we are able to continue to fund the the stability and sustainability efforts that have come to date. And so it'll be something that we're going to be uh, watchful for and very concerned about. Yeah, and I think, you know, we benefited this year, and I, I think that we would continue to benefit from this, um, the higher uh, the higher reimbursement rates that we experienced last year, and that would continue into this year. So the revenue picture isn't as dire as it would be had those, those reimbursement rates, had we not seen that kind of change that allowed that to increase. Okay, great. Thank you. Commissioner Chow. Yes, uh, yes, thank you. I, I think this is an exciting annual report. Uh, you know, um, it it was when, when we first uh, heard the decertification, uh, a, a downer, and it uh, is hard now looking back over the two years that so much has been done. And that I think this year in particular in the annual report reflects that we're moving out of just a stabilization. Well, first of all, uh, bailing out the water from a ship that was having trouble, but uh, that we're now actually pivoting to a brand new day for the It's like Sandra said, it's a new Laguna Honda. And I think it shows in this document, new ways of doing things, resident-centered, looking for the, uh, the best that we can do under these new regs that uh, CMS has been uh, promulgating uh, in order to uh, see that residents are properly cared for and respected. So I want to again congratulate everybody with, uh, it looks to me like with Turn a Corner, we have a new way of doing things. We have a brand new team that looks very exciting. And uh, it's uh, watching the 49ers play again but I think in a different ballpark here. So thank you all for uh, this uh, very um, hard year. And I think the work is showing and you're really, uh, you know, uh, turning, uh, not just turning the corner, but moving forward onto uh, getting that world-class uh, care that uh, Roland uh, had talked about earlier. Thank you. Commissioner Christian. Thank you. As Commissioner Chow said, this is a really exciting report. And uh, the thing that I think probably always, and I'm probably not unique in this way, but uh, really impacts me is what we learned about the people uh, who are working in the space and the people who are being served in the space. And, uh, you know, thank you for the two um, resident stories. Um, look forward to hearing more about uh, the residents going forward, Felipe M and Ida M, uh, because it really does, you know, help. It helps everyone. And, and someone like myself, who is new to learning about Luna, Laguna Honda as somebody when I came on to the Health Commission, and I'm still learning a great deal um, about it. And knowing that we have uh, fellow and sister citizens there, but really not having a sense of who they are as individuals. And so thank you for this. And, uh, and the uh, importance of the work is kind of lies in seeing the faces and the stories and hearing the stories of the people and thank you for caring for them. And, you know, on the same note, um, I wanted to uh, tell you that I, you know, am, am, am impressed and thank you for the idea of this increased executive rounding that you are uh, bringing to us today. 
you know, someone who works in a in an organization, uh, and I'm you know not at the top of the food chain. Uh, it is always incredibly useful and inspiring and helpful for the people who are uh, making the decisions at the executive level to in interact with every the people who are doing the day-to-day -day work. And it will definitely ensure um, a, a great greater positivity and have a huge impact on on the staff. You know, believe me, I I think we all know that from personal experience, one way or another. So that's very impressive, and I'm looking. I'm glad to hear that you intend to do that more regularly going forward. Um, and you know, in the same vein of finally, I think I'll just say that when this key recertification initiatives moving to restraint free, um, uh, it is. Uh, it's been impressive to see how the level of performance and care has been lifted in the in the last year. And one of the things that I'd like to hear just a little more about is how you will be incorporating, bringing this critical eye to not only meeting the federal and state regulations, but continuing to exceed them and to be continuing to, to step into a leadership, leadership space going forward uh, in the country. Uh, around providing care for people and, and what is right and what is healthy. So I don't know if you can tell me what you, how that will look going forward once the doors are fully open again and people are coming in and what is that gonna look like uh, next year? Thank you for the question. I'll, I'll start and probably most people on the team can help answer this. Uh, so I, I mentioned that briefly in the presentation that we uh, will be coming to uh, both the JCC and the Health Commission with what uh, our best thinking in terms of a, a more long-term uh, sustainability and stabilization plan that will um, kind of lay out what were the things that we put in place during recertification that need to stay, uh, and also how do those complement day-to-day operations so that we can uh, build forward and towards our goal of becoming uh, the premier uh, exemplar skilled nursing facility in the country. Um, we've brought in many uh, performance improvement best practices that uh, have already been incorporated into daily operations. Um, uh, Ms. Simon, when she came on board, introduced the concept of IDT interdisciplinary team meetings daily where she meets with the leaders from all of the nursing units. That's a best practice that had not previously existed in its current format at Laguna. So that will uh, continue. We'll continue to have key performance indicators that we publish uh, so there's transparency to all in terms of operations. Uh, and um, we'll, we, we are incorporating uh, ongoing uh, external um, skilled nursing quality improvement expertise uh, over the long haul. So uh, as um, Commissioner Guillermo was saying, so that we don't lose track of of the progress we've made, we are building in uh, ongoing uh, external review and validation uh, to make sure that we are sustaining the gains and moving forward. And always asking that question, can we do better and how can we do that? Absolutely. Well, thank you for this uh, report and for your incredible work. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the future.
Yes, well, um, this report is so beautiful and it, you know, we hear so much about the regulatory and bureaucratic aspects of Laguna, which is obviously mandatory with our meetings, but this is really the humanistic part of Laguna. And it is, as the other commissioner says, it's so wonderful to hear about the residents. The few I've interacted with are such incredible people and they've overcome such major disabilities with such um, such strength and character, many of them. I know I know there are a lot of, of individuals that have other struggles, but this is so uplifting to read and we're, we're really grateful. And I, I think I can speak on, uh, on behalf of all the commissioners that we are very grateful to those of you who are deployed to Laguna. And I also want to acknowledge the role of Deputy, Direct, Deputy Director Naveena Baba, because I know she was critical in supporting your team. She was often a liaison to um, commission leadership, helping really help us understand a lot of the complexities of you know, the step-by-step -step that you were going through. So we were very appreciative of the role you played. And obviously we're, we're delighted with the new team. It seems like each one of you has such amazing, unique skills that you're bringing to this organization. I cannot imagine there's another skilled uh, nursing facility in the galaxy that has a, a, a team like this one. So we are really looking forward to 2024 and, and we thank you for all you've done and, and this beautiful report. And Director Colpes. Yeah, thank you, President uh, Green, and thank you to the Commission for your comments. And I just really, again, want to acknowledge the incredible work that's been done by this team and across the Laguna Honda. And just to reinforce the connection that this report makes with the humanity of Laguna Honda, and also the fact that I think with this transformational year, the team has proven and the culture has changed that, you know, having a a resonance-centered humanistic approach is intertwined with also continually improving your work, right? Those are those are now intertwined in, at, at Laguna Honda, and you can walk down the Laguna Honda um, hallways and you know, pass by the, the art studio, which is incredibly inspiring, the beauty parlor, see people getting their care there, and then you go to the neighborhoods, you see the home-like environment now when people are receiving their meals, their tablecloths, their flowers, and then you go into the, you know, in, in, into the, the nursing rooms and you actually see the KPO, the, the, the quality improvement indicators, right? So you see, and you see celebrations about staff and, and what they've done, and then you also see post-it notes that staff are putting up about suggestions for improvement. All of this has been transformation. All of this has changed. And it's under a very, you know, focused environment on how do we continue to improve. And just an example that I don't think has quite been spoken today, but there are 6,000 observations a day going on at Laguna Hunter for quality improvement. 6,000 observations a day. I mean, that's, and to your point about the galaxy, I'm not sure I can... Be confident about the entire galaxy, but certainly I think in, in across the country, there's not another nursing home that is continually to drive that. And I want to thank Roland Pickens for his leadership and ensuring that you know the the top leaders for Laguna Honda uh, were were uh, were selected, and also thank the commission for your support and leadership through a really challenging time, both for supporting uh, the team and and making sure that uh, they, they felt like they were getting what they needed, and also for supporting the department and the considerable amount of financial resources that uh, it, 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 it took and will continue to take to make sure that Laguna Honda continues the right direction. And just to assure the, the commission that Laguna Honda uh, will remain a, a priority for the department going forward. Thank you. Thank you. Now we will go to the approval of the minutes of the health commission meeting of December 5th, 2023. 
do you mind if I interject? Can we do one more round of applause for all the Laguna Honda folks? As, and as a coworker and colleague, I want to just say you don't have to stay beyond your items. Please feel free to do whatever is comfortable for you. I'm sorry. Is that a, sorry. You don't want to hear about the minutes. <laughs> yeah, right. They have so much work to do. <laughs> All right. Thank you. So um, uh, having um, commissioners having seen the minutes, are there any additions or corrections to the minutes? Okay. Hearing none, is there a motion to approve the minutes? So moved. Second. And is there any public comment on the item? Is there any public comment in the room on the minutes? Uh, and how about folks online? I don't see any hands, but we uh, that's item five. No hands, commissioners. All right. Then we'll take a vote. Yes. I'll, um, uh, uh, Commissioner Chow, how do you vote on this item? Yes. And then everyone in the room, how do you vote on this item? Yes. yes. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, the, the, the minutes Wonderful. are approved. The minutes are approved. Now we'll go to general public comment. Okay, folks, uh, I'll read a statement and then we'll look at the room and look online. At this time, members of the public may address the commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission, but are not on this meeting agenda. Each member of the public may address the commission for up to three minutes. The Brown Act forbids the commission from taking action or discussing any item not appearing on the posted agenda, including those raised during public comment. Please note that each individual is allowed one opportunity to speak per agenda item, Individuals may not return more than once to read statements from other individuals unable to attend the meeting. Written public comment may be sent to the Health Commission at, this, at the following address, the word health, the word dot, I'm sorry, dot, the word commission, dot, dph, at sfdph.org. And, and everything else I read in the previous statement. Are there any folks in the room who would like to make general public comment? All right, so um, if you would, I guess, get online and um, each of you will have three minutes. If you come up one by one, just note when I say time is up, please finish your statement like that sentence because your time is literally up. Thank you. And by the way, the, um, the microphone's the black bar, so just speak and it'll pick up your voice. My name is Moral. I am a licensed clinical social worker in the intensive care unit at San Francisco General Hospital. I am a social worker in the ICU at the level one trauma center because I know firsthand what the effects of genocide, displacement, and generational trauma look like, and I work every day to mitigate their effects on my patients. I am Lebanese Armenian. Each generation of my family for the last four generations were and are refugees. My personal and professional experiences brought me here today to discuss the ongoing genocide of the Palestinian people in Gaza and the West Bank because genocide is a public health issue. In Gaza, not only do we see the egregious murder of innocent civilians by way of carpet bombing, we see the more insidious aspects of genocide, including rampant disease in the setting of almost 2 million displaced and fleeing individuals with access to little to no shelter or medications, lack of hospitals and clinics, lack of essential supplies like ventilators, and lack of food, water, and electricity, all due to bombing and blockade. The Gaza Ministry of Health announced on Sunday that the death toll in Gaza has surged to over 19,000 people. Over 40% of those killed are children. On Saturday, an Israeli tank ran over 20 sick and injured people, burying them alive. This was a deliberate assault on civilians seeking care at the Kamal Adwan Hospital in northern Gaza. We all watched a hospital ward of premature babies die because Israel bombed Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza, cut off its electricity, and killed its healthcare workers. On Sunday, Israel bombed the maternity ward at Al-Nasser Hospital, killing at least one woman and injuring many others. 
These are well-documented human rights violations, and they are only a mere snowflake on an avalanche of human rights violations we have seen in Palestine since October 7th. These attacks on hospitals and healthcare workers, the rate of the murders of entire generations of families, the blockade of humanitarian aid from coming into Gaza, these are not normal occurrences, they are preventable, and they stand in stark contrast with the entire ethical framework of public health. Genocide is not acceptable, and as leaders in public health, I would hope you feel the same. Your silence with regard to the horrific public health and humanitarian crises in Gaza is deafening. As leaders and representatives of San Francisco DPH, your silence erodes the meaning of public health, not only in San Francisco, but globally. There is no situation, no political landscape that justifies the genocide of the people of Palestine. A call for a ceasefire is a call for safety and dignity for the people of Palestine, as well as Palestinians and all dispossessed people globally, including in San Francisco. I implore you, the San Francisco DPH Health Commission, to declare genocide as what it is, a human rights crisis and a public health crisis. I urge you to call for an immediate and permanent ceasefire in Palestine to see an end to indiscriminate killings, occupation, and displacement of the Palestinian people. I call on you to recommend that the Board of Supervisors pass Supervisor Dean Preston's ceasefire resolution as soon as possible, as Gaza cannot wait. Thank you for your time and consideration. All right, next. Thank you. Hi, my name is Elizabeth, and I'm a therapist at a primary care clinic for queer and trans youth. I'm here today as a healthcare worker because I am devastated by the ongoing occupation and genocide of Palestinians and the rapidly escalating public health crisis in Gaza. While I appreciate that Dr. Colfax called for the protection of healthcare workers and patients on November 20th, I am alarmed that my department has not done more to speak out against the atrocities we are witnessing every single day in Gaza. I am proud to work for a department that has declared anti-Black racism a public health crisis and denounced violence against the API community. I can't understand why we wouldn't also be decrying the massive loss of life, the disabling injuries, and the widespread disease and hunger impacting Palestinians right now, not to mention the acute and long-term mental health impacts of the Israeli assault. The violence of the Israeli occupation is not new. When I visited Palestine in 2014, I went to the Janine refugee camp in the West Bank, which was established 70 years ago after the expulsion of Palestinians from their homes during the Nakba. Near the entrance of the camp is a large statue made from scraps of ambulances that were blown up by the IDF in 2002 during the Second Intifada. Over two decades ago, healthcare infrastructure was targeted, just as it has been in the last two months in Gaza. The occupation has been a public health crisis for decades, and it is time for this department to name it as such. The occupation and genocide of Palestinians is within the jurisdiction of the Health Commission, as it is directly impacting the people of San Francisco. Our Palestinian patients and colleagues have lost loved ones and are grieving the assault on their people. Our Muslim patients and colleagues are experiencing heightened Islamophobia and fears of retaliation. One of my own clients has been reeling from watching this genocide unfold, reminded of another genocide that impacted their home country. And all of us who are affected by this are aware of the silence of our department. Silence is not a neutral position. Silence perpetuates the idea that occupation and genocide are permissible. This harms the health of San Franciscans, which is the opposite of the mission of DPH. Many of my clients, all young people, have told me of the ways that they are taking action in their communities to raise awareness 
and stand in solidarity with the people of Palestine. How is it that a 17-year-old has more courage than one of the largest and most progressive public health departments in the state or the nation? I urge the Health Commission to declare that occupation and genocide of Palestinians is a public health crisis and a human rights crisis. I ask that you use your privilege and your voice to support the ceasefire resolution that Supervisor Preston has introduced to the Board of Supervisors. Thank you for your time. Is there anyone else in the room who would like to make comment? Good evening, San Francisco Health Commissioners, Dr. Colfax, Mr. Morowitz. My name is Dawn Surratt. I'm a nurse practitioner with the Occupational Health Services Clinic based at San Francisco General Hospital. In response to the growing humanitarian crisis in Gaza, in mid-November, we circulated a letter amongst SFDPH employees urging our leadership to issue a formal statement in support of a permanent ceasefire. We have almost 200 signatories. We sent this letter to various SFDPH leaders to date, we have not received any acknowledgement of this request. Despite national and international um, calls for a ceasefire, including from the American Public Health Association and the World Health Organization, our leaders remain silent. So I would like to share a poem with you by June Jordan. She wrote this poem over four, 40 years ago after learning of an Israeli-aided massacre of thousands of Palestinian and Lebanese civilians living in the Sabra neighborhood and Shatila refugee camp in Lebanon. Her words are as urgent now as they were then. Moving Towards Home by June Jordan. I do not wish to speak about the bulldozer and the red dirt not quite covering all of the arms and legs nor do I wish to speak about the nightlong screams that reached the observation posts where soldiers lounged about, nor do I wish to speak about the woman who shoved her baby into the stranger's hands before she was led away, nor do I wish to speak about the army that lit continuous flares into the darkness so that others could see the backs of their victims lined against the wall, nor do I wish to speak about the piled up bodies and the stench that will not float. I do not wish to speak about the bulldozer and the red dirt not quite covering all of the arms and legs, because I do not wish to speak about unspeakable events that must follow from those who dare to purify a people, those who dare to exterminate a people, those who dare to describe human beings as beasts with two legs, those who dare to mop up, to tighten the noose, to step up the military pressure, to ring around civilian streets with tanks. Those are the ones from whom we must redeem the words of our beginning. Because I need to speak about home. I need to speak about living room where land is not bullied and beaten into a tombstone. I need to speak about living room where the talk will, place, will take place in my language. I need to speak about living room where my children will grow without horror. I need to speak about living room where the men of my family between the ages of 6 and 65 are not marched into a roundup that leads to the grave. I need to speak about living room where I can sit without grief, without wailing aloud for my loved ones where I must not speak, where is Abu Fadi because he will be there beside me. I need to talk about living room because I need to talk about home. I was born a black woman and now I become a Palestinian. Against the relentless laughter of evil, there is less and less living room. And where are my loved ones? It is time to make our way home. Thank you. Thank you. 
Is there anyone else in the room who would like to speak? Hi, good evening. Thank you, commissioners, for giving me the opportunity to speak. My name is Yashu Jang, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker with DPH, currently working at Maria X. Martinez Urgent Care Clinic. I am here to ask each and every one of you, commissioners and Dr. Colfax, to uphold your mission to preserve, promote, and protect the lives, health, and mental health of all San Franciscans. I read your bios and saw that you all have histories of serving marginalized communities, fighting for social justice, promoting health access and equity. Like myself and my colleagues here, you clearly value health, safety, and well-being for all in our community and beyond. So I am asking you to take a stand against a U.S.-funded genocide being committed upon the Palestinian people in Gaza. The clinic I work at is only a few blocks away. At one point, it was located right in this building. As a new social worker, I used to bring clients here for TB tests and doctor's visits. Even though the facility was a bit dated and the wait was long, my clients were always treated kindly with dignity and respect. It's a place where people can feel safe and cared for, feel seen, no matter how chaotic the world outside may be. Which is why it has been completely gut-wrenching to see such places of refuge being bombed relentlessly, while injured and unhoused people shelter inside, to see first responders being shot at, to see patients and healthcare workers kidnapped from and murdered in healthcare facilities. Can you imagine that in your place of work? Can you imagine your place of work being targeted and yourself being targeted for doing what you love doing? As a mental health clinician, I have had the honor of working with members of the Palestinian diaspora in San Francisco. Our health system serves members of the Palestinian community and our health system is incredibly, incredibly lucky to employ Palestinian colleagues. Our silence as a system toward the trauma that our colleagues and patients have faced and are actively surviving is the antithesis of trauma-informed care. How can we tell any of our patients or colleagues that they are safe here if we cannot say that we do not condone this genocide, that we want the violence and killing and brutalities to stop immediately and permanently? This is especially so when the devastation is funded by our money, our tax dollars. As our city, our healthcare system faced painful and what seemed to be inevitable budget cuts and program cuts. We are at the same time watching hospitals in Gaza get bombed with weapons that we are paying for. Why is there no funding to solve our healthcare crises when there is always money for weapons? You as a health commissioner have the, as a health commission have the power to make a difference, to say enough is enough, to save lives. I'm asking you to use your power and voice to pass the ceasefire resolution put forth by Supervisor Dean Preston as soon as possible without amendment. I'm asking you as a commission to declare occupation and genocide a human rights and public health crisis and to call for a ceasefire as a first step to alleviate this crisis. In your silence. Your turn. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. Is there any, anyone else in the room who would like to make comment? All right, there's uh, one remote public comment person. Jeanette, please unmute that person. Caller, you've got three minutes. Hello, my name is Jude. I am a registered nurse working at San Francisco General Hospital. I have been a nurse for 22 years. 15 of those years have been at San Francisco General Hospital. I'm calling to lend my voice to my colleagues um, who work in different disciplines, but we are all connected by the work that we do, as are all of you sitting on this board. You have so much power as health commissioners, which is different, I think, than the Board of Supervisors or other local officials um, because you're specific to health and healthcare. 
specifically crises and human rights abuses. And if we're, if we just think back to the beginning of the meeting, and I wasn't there for the start, but I did read your land acknowledgement that was um, a beautifully written paragraph that often happens in the world these days, speaking to the indigenous population that was genocided in our country. And I don't know how we can say those words and have a land acknowledgement without lending our voices to this genocide that's happening right now before us. We are all implicated and therefore we all need to speak up and speak out. As healthcare workers, we are being met with silence by all of our leaders, which is just, um, I don't even know if I have a word for it, but um, that's why we are all compelled here to be, be with you today. Without in so much of the media, there's so many facts that are being obfuscated. But if we just look at the healthcare infrastructure, as someone who was on a med surge floor that got turned into the COVID unit in a city where the crisis was hitting us deeply, especially in the mission where our hospital sits, I think back to how days went by and we didn't have enough PPE to enter these rooms that had no idea what risk we were taking to do that. And these healthcare workers are risking their lives day in and day out, not leaving the hospital, working 72-hour shifts. These are our kin, they are our colleagues. We are connected, all of us, in our shared work, and it's the work that you all do as well. We need your support in helping pass the ceasefire resolution that Supervisor Preston has put forward. You voices have power, and we need them to be spoken really loudly right now and join with the chorus that we're all saying. These healthcare workers have signed, 300 of us have signed this um, petition that are, are falling on deaf ears with Senator Padilla and LaFonza Butler and, ex and other, you know, health. Uh, elected officials around the country in similar ways. And I think that your power is needed right now. And we hope that you will support us in speaking loudly um, and clearly and calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. Thank you. Thank you. That is the last uh, public comment, commissioners. Well, thank, thank you all for being here and really giving such eloquent voice to your concerns. We, we really appreciate that you, you've come to us. So, um, the next item would be the um, fourth quarter financial report from Jen Louie. <laughs> Good evening, commissioners. I'm Jenny Louie, uh, Chief Financial Officer for the Department of Public Health. And Mark, can I use this mouse to advance or is that okay? Got it. Um, so, so just tell her next slide. Okay. All right. Um, can I have uh, the first slide, please? Um, I'm pleased to um, bring forward the um, year-end um, fourth quarter financial report to the commission and pleased to report that um, after what was a, a long year, uh, we are ending the year um, positively uh, with an overall balance of about 70.1 million. Um, there are some adjustments um, that I'll go and talk about as, as there's some items were assumed as part of the budget. Uh, but overall, um, once we net those out, it's about 50 million um, uh, on uh, above budget revenues and 20 million of, um, of uh, expenditures surplus um, not spent um, at year end for a total of 70.1 million. Uh, this enables us to make an additional deposit to the management reserve and to the final balance um, uh, that would be returned to the city is 63.7 million. Next slide, please. 
Um, and so in terms of the major highlights, the 50 million of total revenue um, includes a lot of news um, that we received um, towards uh, uh, between the third quarter and fourth quarter report and about 20.1 million of expenditure savings. Of that 20.1 million of expenditure savings, about 15 million was related to personnel savings. Um, I think we had um, in fiscal year 22, 23, we did add a significant number of new positions, almost 400. Um, and I think we had an aggressive assumption in terms of how many we can fill, as well as um, in terms of workforce retention. One of the things we're seeing is that even though we were filling them in the front door, um, there were people leaving um, on the back door. And so in terms of the projections and year end, um, we didn't end up with one-time savings. Um, just noting that as we prepare the first quarter financials for this current fiscal year, um, we are seeing that we are moving the, noodle, the needle um, on some of those permanent vacancies. I do, it's, it is still a bit of a challenge, but there's improvement compared to what we've seen in the prior year. And it's something that we will continue to watch closely um, over the course of the current fiscal year. Um, and as I mentioned before, we are excluding two items um, that were assumed as part of the last year's budget process. And so the first one is 21.2 million of one-time revenue that we thought would actually come in after July 1. Uh, but it came in just before June 30. And so as a matter of practice, we had to recognize that surplus um, when the revenue where we received it. But if we did, then we would lose, uh, we would create a hole in the current year. So therefore, uh, we are netting it out. We're sort of taking a momentary ride in our management reserve um, from fourth quarter into the first quarter where it'd be released so we can really recognize the revenue where we originally expected it and to avoid any uh, shortfalls that we might have. Um, in addition, there's about 10.8 million of expenditure savings. This is primarily to um, our April proposal to leverage interest income related to the healthcare security ordinance um, that was now drawing um, interest income and can offset some of the administration fees. This savings was expected and the mechanics was um, to uh, project fund balance at year end. And so we don't want to count that fund balance assumption that was used to balance this upcoming budget for the similar reasons um, in terms of the GME revenue above. And so those two are netted out, which is why it brings down the overall surplus as and, and was expected to do so. Um, and then I would also note that our actuals um, following a year end balancing by the controller's office, uh, we did have to make 33.5 million in transfers to ZSFG, um, part two inflationary costs, as well as increased registry costs and increased census at the hospitals. Uh, and 24.1 million um, to support the recertification efforts and registry efforts uh, that you've uh, seen presented earlier this evening. Next slide, please. Uh, while our report overall just talks about budget versus actuals, um, I did just want to comment on a comparison from third quarter to fourth quarter, um, which is a little bit unusual. We did have a significant amount of improvement, 76.9 million compared to the prior quarter. And this was primarily in the form of revenue of a $68 million increase. And I just did want to note um, some of the changes and information that we received that allowed us to recognize this revenue. Um, and I'm just going to refer to my notes to make sure I get this right. Um, and so 28.2 million at Zuckerberg, San Francisco General, um, 4.7 related to the Hans payment program as we got updated um, uh, revenues related transition of a portion of the health network patients um, for, to fee-for-service. 
6.7 million um, in improvement in the uh, quality improvement program as the state um, uh, provided additional reporting options that enabled us to meet 100% of our thresholds. Um, a rate range settlement of 7.2 million um, as we, um, as they favorably adjudicated a lawsuit related to um, uh, unsatisfactory immigration status. And I think we are um, in, we're able to recognize some patients that we did not expect to be previously eligible for rate range. Um, and then about 9.6 million sort of sprinkled out in other areas of the department. In addition, a Laguna Honda improved by um, 27.8 million primarily due to prior year cost report. The 21-22 cost report was finally settled um, in about May of this year. Um, it enabled us to recognize additional one-time revenue related to 21-22. And then um, it also um, enabled us to um, create an assumption around the 22-23 uh, per diem rates um, that we have, which bumped up um, in some portion of the, of the then current year rates we had for um, net improvement of 27.8. Um, and then uh, behavioral health also achieved about 14.8 million of additional prior year closeouts one time um, that we were able to recognize. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, about 9 million in additional expenditure savings that we previously did not anticipate as part of third quarter. And again, I will note that while these are improvements um, compared to third quarter, in some areas we still did remain negative, and um, you know, such as GPP. And so it's sort of we're less negative in some areas, and in some areas we were more positive. And so I just wanted to make that clarification moving forward as we shift back to um, looking at budget versus actuals. Next slide, please. Um, and so then getting right into it at San Francisco general um, revenues ended about 55 million favorable. The net patient revenues ended up being about 90.5 um, related to primarily the fee for service conversion um, that we implemented mid-year um, and after the budget was developed. Um, and so there was a, a, a above budget revenue there. The Medi-Cal waiver, we were short um, on both the global payment program, about 30 million, and then we um, had made an assumption about 38 million of prior year settlements that we were expecting to get um, and budgeted, uh, but actually did not achieve. We just got word that one of them will be coming in, um, and we were able to recognize that um, as part of um, our, some of our mid-year savings um, to meet um, some of the mayor's mid-year instructions that we have, and uh, there's potential for that uh, remaining um, 38 of about 16 million of remaining balance to come in by the end of this current fiscal year. Um, uh, we received um, 7 million of additional managed care supplemental revenue, um, as well as um, um, additional revenue related to the GME program, as I mentioned, um, as well as um, uh, an increased um, FMAP rate, matching rate um, for the public health emergency. Uh, we also had almost $10 million related to a rate increase uh, for healthy workers capitation that we are assuming in the current year budget. Um, and the 340B, especially pharmacy program, is short um, 8.3 million. 
on the expenditure savings side, um, overall with the transfers made, um, uh, there was about 1.9 million of savings overall, primarily in the areas of salary and fringe, as well as uh, minor savings in non-personnel and um, services of other departments. Um, you'll see this, um, the services of other department savings a lot as we have work order arrangements with other city departments and at year end, they close out their balances as well. And you'll see this as a theme um, throughout all the divisions. Next slide, please. Um, for Laguna Honda Hospital, um, again, there is, it ended up being 5.4 million favorable after that $27 million improvement that we saw. And I think we went over some of the expenditures previously, but again, um, some of the salary and fringe assumptions, um, materials and supplies and the work order savings um, as we've seen uh, for San Francisco General. Next slide, please. Um, in terms of behavioral health, again, um, we received um, a, uh, while we were expecting to be short, we had some improvement um, related to um, prior year um, uh, one-time dollars. And so, uh, but drug rent Medi-Cal um, uh, has had a persistent shortfall and it's one of the areas where we're looking to correct um, in this budget, but there was some improvement in the short-term Medi-Cal program that we had. Um, some uh, minor shortfall in the behavioral health quality improvement programs. We didn't meet all of our milestones. Um, and then uh, 16 million of realignment um, and 6.6 and prior savings. Um, and again, the salaries and benefits um, savings um, due to uh, salary savings due to vacant positions, as well as um, 1.4 million of uh, contractual services, as well as materials and supplies. Next slide, please. Um, with primary care, um, uh, we're showing a $4.6 million shortfall in patient revenue. It's made up of a few things, um, but I will note that about 1.2 of this is really more recognition of, um, of CalAIM revenues that we are recognizing under um, the health network, under the whole person integrated care program. It was originally budgeted here because um, we weren't quite sure exactly how the CalAIM revenues would hit, but um, we want to allocate the revenues to where they were actually accrued. And so it shows as a negative here, but note that there'll be a positive down the road that will offset it. Um, in addition, there's about 1.9 um, as we completed an audit. Some of you know um, the federal, um, you know, for our uh, FQHCs, our federal, federally qualified healthcare systems, we're on a prospective um, payment. Um, and so we get interim payments um, that we recognize based on a perspective expectation of what, you know, they think that they may receive, um, but then they 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 uh, just compare that with an audit at year end. We win some, we lose some. In this case, uh, we lost some, um, but these uh, variances are somewhat routine in terms of what we see with FQHC billing. Um, and then a small uptick um, in capitation re revenue, similar to the healthy workers we saw at San Francisco General. And again, similar um, salary savings that we're seeing um, in, uh, in other areas of the department. Next slide, please. Um, gel health, um, 0.2 million surplus overall, so minor variances in salary and fringe, as well as non-personnel supplies. Um, next slide. Um, within the health network itself, um, Overall, the revenues ended up being pretty much on budget, but there's a lot going on there. And so there's positives and minuses. Uh, we improved in terms of patient revenues. We were short on some of our billing activities related to medical administrative activities. We've had a persistent shortfall in our Healthy San Francisco participation fees um, offset by improvement um, with capitation for our health at home. 
and some shortfalls on the healthcare accountability fees um, and the level of savings um, in maternal child health um, administrative. Um, the expenditures about 9.8 uh, favorable overall, um, but as you go, this is um, where we recognized that interest income savings. That was the budget initiative from prior year, and so it is. It shows up as balance at year end, but again, we net that out of the total. Uh, but it is recognized in this division here. Uh, next slide, please. Um, and then with population health um, revenues were 3.2 million unfavorable. Um, we um, have seen uh, a consistent shift with lower billing um, and a change in, um, in the adult and travel immunization clinic. Um, and then in addition with environmental health and lab fees with a shift to EPIC, we um, understand we need to re-enroll um, in Medicare for billing. I understand that it has been submitted, but um, we are waiting and it will take approximately six months for that to be approved, but we are hopeful that will go through. I think overall the pandemic probably had um, a really big impact on the public health lab overall in terms of its services, um, as well as um, adult travel and immunization clinic as you know, travel patterns change and business um, ch businesses change as they just focus more on um, staying home and remote work as well. Um, in terms of the expenditure savings, um, 3.2 million in salary and fringe benefits will now pop. And we did make a significant investment in the population health infrastructure so that did receive a significant portion of the new positions um, for fiscal year 22-23. So it's not unexpected that um, you know they would actually achieve some additional savings. But again, uh, we're seeing some movement um, in terms of closing the gap on those vacancies and then some minor savings in contracts and then as well as intercommunal services. Next slide, please. Um, in terms of public health administration, just some minor variances on the revenue, but close to budget. Again, um, savings in terms of salary and fringe, um, and some minor savings in terms of contracts. Um, and then we did have an IT project budget closeout, of, um, which was assumed as part of some of the budget savings um, we had done as part of the budget process in the prior year. Um, and then next slide. Um, and then how we finished out the COVID response budget, um, I'll say the controller's office did make um, some adjustments. This is a citywide project, a multi-year citywide project um, that was stood up um, initially in 2020 in response to the COVID project. Um, I think um, after all of the balancing with the controller's office, we have a, uh, we're recognizing about 6.9 million of savings. We'll note just in prior years, about 4.4 of that sort of recognizes um, a sort of a technical inventory adjustment we have for PPA uh, purchased um, in prior years and recognize and utilize and filled out of inventory in the current year as well as and some about 2.5 million of additional savings to get to that 6.9. Um, some savings in COVID community contracts as well well as testing overall um, 11 million that will be closed out. Um, and I um, could be not more pleased to say uh, that hopefully this will be the last time uh, I report on such a project as the controller's office will be closing this out for us and all city departments and balancing. Um, and then, as you know, in the budget uh, for any continuing costs that we believe were necessary for infrastructure, we've um, allocated to our operating budgets. And so um, uh, we will not be reporting on this um, in, uh, in subsequent fiscal years. Um, and then uh, for the, um, oh, I think this is my repeat slide. Next slide, please. Um, and then I will note just to report and the, 
and the next slide after that. Um, uh, could I advance one more slide, please? Okay, I will note that uh, we did not um, provide uh, the updated slide as I expected. Um, this is actually from the third quarter, but I will note that um, instead of a withdrawal that we expected as a shortfall in the third quarter, um, we will actually be making a deposit of $6.4 million um, to match our budgeted revenues in the upcoming fiscal year to fully fund um, our management reserve at $130 million. And in addition, we will um, put that $21.2 million of revenue budgeted in the current year um, to be able to recognize it for an ending balance of 50 million. But note, just in Q1, that balance will just disappear um, and we would just recognize us ourselves as on budget uh, for those revenues. Uh, that completes my report, uh, but I'm happy to answer any questions um, commissioners may have. Thank you for that extensive work. Is there any public comment on this item? Person on the line, if you'd like to make comment, we're on item seven, please press star three to do so. I don't see a hand, Commissioner, so we only have one right. person on the line. Then any Commissioner questions or comments on the presentation? <laughs> Commissioner Guillermo, yeah. Um, just a, a lot to, to take in, I guess, in terms of um, some of the, the movement in each of the different categories. I mean, you know, glad to know, at least for this year, uh, that um, um, we're able to uh, meet the, you know, uh, meet the budget and in fact have a, a contribution to the reserve. So uh, I don't anticipate that that's going to probably be the scenario in the in the years to come. Um, do you, do you, I mean, I guess my concerns, I guess looking forward so much because I know that this this budget year is going to be very difficult. So, um, but I want to con uh, sort of compliment you on Jenny on managing uh, what is such a difficult uh um budget in um just sort of the ins and outs that occur that in many ways aren't under our control because we get funding from so many different sources and then have to distribute that out uh in uh just in sometimes some ways very convoluted uh ways uh to to use the budget so um just want to again uh, thank you for uh, all of the work uh, and know that you're going to need a lot of support and you and your staff are going to need a lot of support coming forward uh, in the months to come as we look at the coming budget uh, and its implementation. Commissioner Christian. Yep. Commissioner Chow, any questions or comments? Fine. All right. Well, wonderful. I, I guess I just had one and I'm not sure because this is after all, you know, Q4. But um, do you have any sense, it looks like in many categories, revenues have been improved. We heard about that from Laguna as well. So can you make any projections about how that will help with the shortfall? And then um, the, the budget cuts rather. And then the other question is, can you refresh how and what would trigger use of the reserves? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm pleased to see that we ended um, the year positively. Um, some of the positive revenue we were expecting and we have already budgeted in the current year, so you're not going to see those variances. So, for instance, we had implemented the fee-for-service conversion. We expect it to be worth about $55 million gross um, in our upcoming budget. And so 
um, some of it has been captured, and I think there's additional rates um, and rate changes and improvements that um, we now that we have some more data points, uh, me and the finance team will be taking some of that information over and then trying to um, put that into our crystal ball um, to make projections um, for this upcoming year. Um, and again, we do have the management reserve. Um, what is really uh, to use for is really to buffer against those fluctuations and assumptions that we see. Um, and you know, as you recall, like while we have significant surpluses this year, um, it's enabled us to make more aggressive assumptions, just recognizing, yeah, you know, in like similar to the case of the FQHC audit, we win some, we lose some. It's a matter of course, and this is public health financing. And so in some cases, you know, we wait for claims to be adjudicated, sometimes 10, 15 years in arrears. Sometimes there's a policy, yes. <laughs> Um, 10 years is, I'm still like those, that 38 million of prior year, uh, we thought for sure, uh, we were indicated from the uh, California Association of Public Hospitals that that would be finally adjudicated for fiscal years. Think um, 10, 11, 11, 12, and 13, 14, they skipped a year, um, which is, <laughs> you know, and we thought that those would be closed out. They closed out one year just before the end of um, uh, the fiscal year, but um, or I'm sorry, just at, at the beginning of this fiscal year, and it's possible they may close them out, but it's it's really hard to predict um, as we have deferred revenue that helps buffer against it. And so the idea behind that management reserve is should we ha uh, project negative revenue um, because of the uncertainty we have um, associated with all of the different programs. Like it's not just Medi-Cal, right? There's, you know, there's GPP, QIP, and the alphabet soup of different milestones, formulas, um, percentages, um, statewide county balancing um, that happens uh, with state and federal revenues um, that creates a lot of uncertainty for us. But when we do have negative revenues, as we had seen um, in previous quarters up until this one, where we were projecting a shortfall as a result of the lower um, census at Laguna Honda, um, instead of having to take corrective action to get our budget balance, we were able to make the assumption that any shortfall at year end would be covered by that management reserve and would buy us additional time to take that corrective action as opposed to like when you look at the Q1 books to say, okay, now we got to, you know, um, you know, drop everything and just, you know, have a big fire drill um, and to, to try to get things back into balance. So it gives us um, a lot of buffer and it gave us some time to um, see and uh, what, what payments also might come in and then any updates that we have um, to prevent um, and enable us really to continue services, even though it's really a revenue um, a reserve related to revenues, um, we can't use it. It's not expenditure authority. We can't use it for budget shortfalls on the expenditure side, but it can just help us um, buffer the, the ebbs and flows of healthcare in San Francisco, in California. Well, thank you. And then I know there's, um, you know, CalAIM and so forth, but are there any um, any indications about Medi-Cal Medi fee schedules? I think Medicare at least is cutting clinicians by 3% in 2024. Is there anything either good or bad about medical reimbursement to hospitals or to the clinics that that would impact our revenues? Yeah, I think there's nothing I can quite forecast right now. Right, um, you know, the state has given a lot the health plans their rates, um, and we're working closely with the 
um, San Francisco Helpline. They're very supportive. Um, and so I think we need to wait to just finalize and see um, what they end up with. I don't expect it to be negative or adverse in any way. And so usually there's adjustments primarily related more towards CPI and inflationary issues as opposed to a big bump up. But I know that there is, um, you know, a lot of advocacy around just, you know, considering public hospitals, safety net hospitals, the role we've served um, and the importance and looking at overall rates. And, um, you know, and again, as you saw with the financials, those rates come at different times of the year, depending on the program. Some run on a calendar year, some run on the fiscal year. Um, and so we do get um, new information throughout the year on this. And as soon as we get that, we will take that um, and uh, try to uh, use that to project out our budget for the next year. Thank you. And I see a Commissioner Chow's hand. Uh, yes, this is uh, more a follow-up on, on what you were just talking about in terms of Medi-Cal reimbursement. I'm wondering, uh, on a primary care, well, uh, for the primary care clinics and all, uh, because we have a large number of Medi-Cal, and granted, it is at San Francisco Health Plan, uh, uh, hopefully San Francisco Health Plan will uh, also be getting uh, the uh, increase of uh, rates that the uh, practitioners are getting uh, for Medi-Cal this year. Uh, I don't know how that uh, translates into amounts that are then, you know, capitated for the uh, health plans. But I know, I know you're going to be continuing to look at that, but definitely, uh, uh, presumably, uh, the state has uh, increased Medi-Cal uh, fee-for-service reimbursements. Okay. Yeah, I don't know how specifically that'll translate, um, but there'll be more to come as we prepare the first quarter financials for the commission. All right. Well, and I obviously, as Commissioner Guillermo said, this is complicated work and we're really grateful to you to be willing to navigate through all of this complexity and um, the challenges of the year to come. So thank you so much. Thank you, President Green. Okay. So next item is the director's report, Director Colfax. Good evening. President Green and commissioners here with the director's report. We have a robust director's report here for you to review. I'll just uh, go over some of the highlights um, with regard to the budget update. You see our um, mid-year budget uh, reductions that were accepted by the mayor. And then just to emphasize coming going forward that uh, on December 13th, the mayor issued her instructions to departments for the upcoming two fiscal years. Uh, the fiscal land landscape is very challenging. Uh, local revenue growth is flat due to a uh, number of different factors, including reductions in property taxes. Um, as a result, uh, departments are requested to submit proposals to meet 10% reduction targets in each year of the proposed budget and a 5% contingency target with savings that can be taken if the situation worsens. For GPH, that translates into a reduction target of 93.8 million in each year of the budget. And the contingency target is an additional 46.9 million. Uh, the instructions also ask that the departments not add new positions. So uh, our team is working uh, hard on this. Um, we're um, holding uh, meetings with our uh, CBO stakeholders, including one tomorrow, and we will return to the commission in January with greater details on instructions in early uh, February with a full budget proposal. 
Next item is the DPH uh, awards a grant to assist in reducing overdose deaths death disparities. DPH has awarded a $2.25 million, $2 million grant to the Homeless Children's Network as part of an ongoing investment and commitment to reducing racial disparities in drug overdose deaths through prevention, engagement, and education. Uh, this funding, which is $450,000 per year over five years, will help expand the capacity of the Homeless Children's Network, a community-based organization to prevent less than harmful health outcomes associated with substance use and reduce overdose death disparities through innovative tailored approaches. Next item is that uh, San Francisco uh, begins wastewater analysis for fentanyl, xylazine, and other high-risk substances. Uh, the health department, in a, with the assistance of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, has begun wastewater testing for substances, including fentanyl, to track trends and inform response activities. San Francisco is one of 70 communities across the United States participating in the first-of-its-kind initiative by the National Institute on Drug Abuse to gauge and measure the presence of substances associated with adverse health consequences, including overdoses through wastewater testing. Earlier this month at the request of DPH, the Public Utilities Commission began sending wastewater samples from two major wastewater treatment plants uh, to a company uh, that received federal uh, contract from NIDA wastewater surveillance program uh, that will be testing the water. Uh, DPH is expected to receive initial results in January and then every two weeks going forward. San Francisco's participation comes at no cost to the city. Under the current contract program is scheduled to, the program is scheduled to end in late August, 2024. Moving on to the next item, I'm happy to um, uh, report to the commission that the DPH's indispensable primary care team hosted their annual appreciation awards event earlier this week. All 500 primary care team members were invited to join the festivities including uh, eligibility workers, medical assistants, behavioral health clinicians, health workers, nurses, and providers, podiatrists, nutritionists, acupuncturists, dentists, hygienists, and aides. It takes a great deal of a great team to uh, provide primary care across our, our system. Um, and just to note that since recovering from COVID, the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic, our primary care team has logged more than 250,000 visits this calendar year, up 23% uh, since 2020. Next item is that Zuckerberg San Francisco General's Behavioral Health Emergency Response Team has received an equity award. Uh, the behavior, the BIRD team received the Equity Quality Leaders Award from the California Association of Public Hospital and Health Systems. The Behavioral Health Response Team is a behavioral health rapid response initiative that began in 2018 and has been pivotal in addressing the inequitable use of force on patients as Zuckerberg San Francisco General. It's successfulized in the implementation of a trauma-informed approach to care, ensuring both safety for staff and patients in the workplace by de-escalating difficult situations before they become violent. Also at Zuckerberg San Francisco Hospital, um, it was next item was, it was the hospital's recognized for reducing disparities in cardiovascular disease. The cardiology team at the hospital um, was recognized in America's Essential Hospitals newest report uh, titled Novel Hospital Initiatives to Target Cardiovascular Disease Disparities. The team expanded and implemented a heart failure 
heart failure care pathway integrated into EPIC and tailored to our patients' needs by targeting social determinants of health. This intervention led to more than a 10% drop in a 30-day readmission rates, a reduction in mortality rate, and a decrease in racial disparity in readmissions. Next item is that uh, happy to, to report that the Environmental Health Branch's Retail Tobacco Program successfully applied to the, from the, to the Department of Justice uh, for a tobacco enforcement grant and was awarded uh, nearly $2.9 million um, uh, for enforcing uh, tobacco uh, uh, laws and regulations. And just uh, to note that Along these lines, the Environmental Health Branch Retail Tobacco Program surveyed hundreds of online tobacco retailers and found that about 120 online businesses did not block the sales of flavored tobacco in San Francisco. Uh, the, the Environmental Health Branch took this information to the city attorney's office and based on their work, on December 5th, the city attorney, David Chu, announced a lawsuit against three online tobacco retailers for unlawfully selling flavored tobacco products and electronic cigarettes to consumers in San Francisco. Our health department health officer, Dr. Susan Phillip, recently stated, quote, flavored tobacco products harm the health of youth and especially youth in communities of color. I really want to thank the EHP um, for their hard work in this in this very important area. And then in terms of our COVID-19 update, as of 1214, uh, San Francisco's seven-day rolling average of COVID test positivity is 4.9%. And there were a total of 40 hospitalized patients with COVID across the city. 24% of San Francisco residents are fully up to date on their COVID uh, vaccinations. And uh, you have the item there of DPH in the news, which you can click on and happy to answer any um, of the commissioner's questions with regard to uh, other areas in this report or more details in the items that I reviewed. Thank you. So thank you for the report and thank you for highlighting the well-deserved awards for so many teams within the department. This was a particularly impressive one, really diverse of, uh, departments and individuals getting recognition, which is always wonderful. Is thank there any public comment? No public comment. There's no one online and there's nobody. Hey, what right. about commissioner questions or comments? Commissioner Christian, yes. Thank you for the report. It's good to see you. Can you uh, tell me more about the Homeless Children's Network and this grant to reduce overdose, overdose death disparities? What age, age range of person is kind of generally served or targeted uh, by this work? Yeah, I'll, have to, I'll loop back with the behavioral health team and get you that information, uh, Commissioner. If you have more specific questions, I'm happy to uh, get them from you and get back to the team. Get back to the team. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Chap. Uh, yes, uh, um, uh, Dr. Kovacs, I was wondering uh, in the wastewater analysis, uh, how would the department actually use this? Uh, is it just to, uh, uh, you know, uh, I understood when we were doing wastewater on, on COVID and all, how we would be uh, watching the, uh, you know, uh, a pandemic. But uh, these are uh, substances which are, you know, used uh, uh, in a different fashion. I mean, it's non-infection. So uh, how, how would we take uh, a, a fentanyl uh, level and, and, and what do we expect to know from it since there are no specifics, no neighborhoods and so forth? Yes, I really appreciate uh, the question, uh, Dr. Chow. And I think as part of this um, 
essentially a pilot project. Those are some of the things we're going to be testing out and learning. And uh, as part of our behavioral health update or sooner, I'm happy to get you that information from the behavioral health team. This is a, as it is an area of trying to link what we've learned from COVID and wastewater testing to see if we can be more specific and targeted in, the, in, in our uh, response to the substance use uh, epidemic. And I think that's part of your, your, your specific question is one of the things that the pilot is going to seek to answer to see whether wastewater testing truly can be an effective tool. But to get you more specifics, I can get the behavioral health team to report back and certainly they can provide an update on this project in their next update to the commission. Uh, that would be fine. Thank you very much. All right, seeing no other comments or questions, thank you. And the next item, Commissioner Christian will give us a community and public health update. Thank you. Uh, so earlier this afternoon, Commissioner Gerardo and I were able to get an update on two matters. First, uh, we reviewed the draft DPH annual report for fiscal year 22-23. Um, as you know, the report summarizes and highlights DPH data and services. Uh, we were um, generally very pleased with the report. Um, and the uh, only thing I think primarily that we were encouraging them to do was to highlight more the successes of uh, and the, the increase in um, service providing and successes in the community through the programs particularly um, given what we've been going through and focusing on uh, in the last year uh, around um, uh, around healthcare provision, but also substance use disorders and providing people with treatment and uh, the stark difference between the availability of treatments uh, in this past fiscal year versus previously. And so I think it's, um, and Commissioner Gerardo brought this up, uh, that it's very important for uh, the department to highlight that information so that people can see in the annual report and uh, the media can see in the annual report the, um, the good work and the change uh, that is happening and also the really you know, excellent work uh, and increase in service providing um, provisions to the community in uh, our public health uh, uh, sites and uh, so basically just um, more pleased about what the good work has been and the data and the numbers and so that we can um, focus on those accomplishments uh, and celebrate them. And so the final report is scheduled to come to the full commission in February. Second item uh, was an update from the maternal child and adolescent section. It was an amazing report uh, given by Arlene Armstrong, the uh, director of that division, of that section. Uh, incredibly impressed with the spectrum of work that they are doing and the partnerships in the community. Uh, we, both Commissioner Gerardo and I were very interested in some uh, additional specific data to um, follow up uh, with the narrative contained in the slides. Um, some of the requests included information on various system responses, when a parent goes into substance use rehabilitation services, you know, what um, cascade of um, things happen when a person gives birth and perhaps the child is found to um, be testing positive and then, you know, the legal system and other systems come in. But um, 
the it was very uh, impressive the uh, the body of support that comes to uh, comes into play for the person and the child when when something like that does occur. Um, uh, definitely, uh, Director Armstrong uh, is uh, doing incredible work, and her presentation was very good. And uh, Commissioner Gerardo and I do have asked for, for her to come back soon with um, a little more information. I would encourage you just to go through uh, the presentation if you um, have a have a few minutes again. Um, you know, things like learning about things like using a non-invasive biomarker uh, on children to see what level of uh, nutrients are in the system so they we can measure and see are they getting enough of the, the food that they need and the fruits and the vegetables and you know it's just you know that's incredible and great uh, so just uh, the, the the breadth of the work and the depth of its impact is um, really impressive and we are looking to be able to support that in all ways that we can going forward. So I think that's um, that's what I've got. Thank you. Is there any public comment? There's no public comment. And any comments or questions from commissioners? All right, thank you so much. And we will definitely look at that, um, that handout. That sounds fantastic. So um, the next item I believe will be the um, Joint Conference Committee report from uh, Zuckerberg San Francisco General because the items that were discussed will be on the consent calendar. So uh, Commissioner Chow will present. Uh, thank you, uh, President Green. Uh, at the December 12th meeting, the committee reviewed and recommended that Commission approve the Environment of Care report, which is, as you know, on today's consent calendar. This report provides important information about the many logistics and operational systems that enable ZSFG to be such a highly functional <laughs> institution. And, and you might note that this is now in sort of a scorecard format rather than narrative as before. Um, the committee also discussed the uh, True North scorecard update and the re and the work that uh, they have been doing, uh, many of which were aspirational goals, but each of which were well explained. Um, further uh, standard reports that were looked at were our regulatory affairs reports uh, and the December CEO report, the human resources report. In uh, the report uh, of the CEO, Dr. Uh, announced that Dr. Luke Day, our chief, uh, the chief medical officer at the hospital, uh, was uh, going to be um, leaving to go to use, uh, UCSF Health, a, um, a significantly uh, up, uh, important position. He had been our CEO at the hospital since 2018 and, and led the uh, medical staff and the hospital um, uh, through uh, the EPIC uh, update and the uh, response to the pandemic along with uh, uh, continuing to work. And we've always found him at the JCC very responsive to our questions. So uh, Dr. Ehrlich announced that the CFO at uh, SF General, Jennifer Boffey, who had been there uh, since uh, 2017, was uh, going to a uh, 
very high level position at Sutter Health. So once again, it looks like uh, our, our work here then uh, continues to allow others to uh, benefit from from uh, all the, uh, 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 I suppose, learning and the experience that they are getting from us. And so that's wonderful that uh, uh, DPH continues to inform so many uh, other organizations. Um, we also were informed that the, uh, and accepted that uh, Dr. Shonel Jen had been uh, recommended and uh, by uh, the uh, administration and staff and UCSF as chief of pediatrics and JCC accepted that uh, recommendation. Um, along, uh, furthermore, uh, uh, under the medical report, uh, we then uh, reviewed all of the policies and procedures that you see listed as the other portion of the consent calendar and recommends that the, uh, committee, that the uh, commission approve all of these. Uh, that uh, uh, in uh, closed session, and approve the credentials report and the PIPs minute report. And that uh, ends my report. Thank you for the report. Is there any public comment? There's no one in the room and no one online. Any questions or comments from commissioners? All right, hearing none, then we should move the, to the consent calendar. And uh, is there any public comment on? There's no public comment because okay. there's no one online or in the room. Then, um, and I should have asked for a motion first to approve the um, L, the um, items on the consent calendar. So moved. Second. All right. I, and I will do a roll call vote because we have a remote participant. Commissioner Chow, how do you vote on this item? Yes. And commissioners in the room, how do you vote on this item? Yes. Yes. All right. The consent calendar is approved. Thank you. All right. The next item is other business. Is there any other business? And there's no public comment on this item. Okay. Then the next item is a motion to move into closed session. Yes. First, we'll take public comment, and there is none, so we can move on. So, commissioners, there's two votes. One is to go into closed session, and one is to assert attorney-client privilege. So, we'll start with a, a closed session motion, please. Okay. Is there a motion to go into closed session? So moved. And second. a second. Second. I will do a roll call vote. Commissioner Chow, how do you vote on this item? Yes. And the commissioners in the room, how do you vote on this item? Yes. 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 Thank you. Uh, and then how about a motion for to assert a, a attorney client privilege for this discussion? So moved. Second. Uh, uh, do roll call vote. Commissioner Chow, how do you vote on this item? Yes. And commissioners in the room, how do you vote on this item? Yes. Okay, wonderful. Um, folks who were watching, um, please give us 30 seconds. You will not hear or see us while we, I'm sorry, give us about 15 minutes. Um, you will not hear or see us while we were in closed session. Um, and uh, folks in the room, please give me 30 seconds to take us to closed session. SFGov, I'm going to move you to the attendee. GovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
a motion to disclose or not disclose discussions held in closed session? I move that we not disclose the discussions held during closed session. I second. All right, Commissioner Chow, how do you vote on this item? Yes. And commissioners in the room, how do you vote on this item? Yes. All right, thank you so much. And now it's a time to consider a motion for adjournment. So moved. Second. Commissioner Chow, how do you vote on this item? Yes. And commissioners in the room, how do you vote on this item? Yes. yes. All right, thank you all so much. Happy holidays. Yeah, happy new year.